continuing in our series of miracles. And I want to share with you uh, an amazing miracle. We're talking about the miracle of Holy Spirit work in our lives. And I want to share with you how we got this building. Some of you already know the story if you've been going to this church for any length of time, but there's many who've not yet heard it. And uh, when we first looked at this building, it was selling for almost a million dollars. And we were a small little congregation, maybe 75 people looking at this million-dollar building. And uh, we, you know, we, we called, we asked, and, and they said, yeah, it's, it's almost a million. But besides, uh, you know, it's not available. The Salvation Army is going to be taking it on, and they're going to be turning it into a thrift shop. So I felt in my heart, man, this would be the perfect location for a, a, a church in this community. And so I just went into prayer about it, and... And uh, I was a little defeated, I was a little discouraged, but I continued to pray. As long as the Salvation Army wasn't actually in the building, I was going to continue to pray. So I continued to pray, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, months passed by. And finally I picked up the phone, called the real estate agent, and he said, oh, the deal's off. I said, oh, what's it cost? Well, he says it's actually reduced a bit in price. And it'd come down maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars. And, and so, uh, you know, it's not quite yet the price I'm looking for. So I went back to prayer, fasted, prayed. And then, uh, you know, again, nothing's happening. The real estate agent said, you know, it's impossible. You'll never be able to afford it. And don't waste my time. You're wasting my time. You're not using due diligence. There's all the, you know, all the, the claptrap from the real estate agents. Uh, Dennis is not like that, though, Dennis Weeb, um, in case you want to use him. Nothing's happening. The building's not moving, and we called them again. And now the price has actually come down to five hundred fifty thousand. So uh, we started talking about it, and we figured we, we could get maybe one hundred fifty thousand dollars for our building, which was on Elgin Avenue, right across the street from Cecil Road School. It's like a little shoebox in the middle of the street. Blink and you miss it. We needed a building that had a parking lot. And uh, so, yeah, we had, the, we had that building, we had the parsonage, and we just prayed and said, God, uh, please do something special for us. So, now here's the amazing thing. God brought along somebody from Calvary Temple who's an old friend of our family. Her name's Marilyn Wedlake. She's on staff here part-time, and um, she's, uh, she's usually in the first service. But she actually, watch this, she actually was the... It was a, a paralegal that worked for the lawyer of the Safeway of Canada. Did you hear that? Just happens to be the assistant to the lawyer of Safeway of Canada. She actually got to know a number of the lawyers, young lawyers that worked at Aikens Macaulay Thorvaldson. And Aikens Macaulay Thorvaldson had this Safeway contract. They were responsible for all their legal dealings. And so Marilyn got to know a number of the people there. So when it came time for us to investigate the possibility of buying this building, we went right around the real estate agent, right to the people who owned the building. And Marilyn got on the phone and started talking to this guy who she knew very well. And Marilyn says, well, here's what, we were, here's what we're proposing. We, we would like to submit a proposal, submit a, an offer to purchase. Uh, she said, but here's the problem. We only have about 150000 but we were, we were thinking that maybe if Safeway could donate $400,000 to us, that with the 400000 from Safeway and our 150000 we would have enough to buy your building. And so the guy didn't laugh. He said, well, put something together. So we, we put together a proposal. We put together our, our, our offer. And the agent, um, his name is Ed. I won't tell you his last name, but it starts with a Y. <laughs> he, he got angry. He got really angry. He thought we were messing around and stop playing games and don't waste my time. You know, that, that whole thing. I said, look, this is, this is a serious offer. Please submit it to Safeway of Canada. You would not believe the look on his face when he brought the offer back and said, Safeway has accepted. He was absolutely dumbfounded. I've never seen anybody so dumbfounded in my life. He was dumbfounded, but I wasn't. We recognized 
the choreography of the Holy Spirit in all of this. And when we got this building, we thought, well, you know what? We're a small congregation. There's no way we can afford to renovate this place. So we'll just move in and start holding services in this building. Does anybody remember when it was a Safeway? Anybody remember those days? I'm sitting in the fruit section right now, I think. (laughs) Some of you are in the meat department over there. And uh, glass across the front. And we thought, well, we'll just move in here and we'll just start holding services uh, and uh, Bunny and Al, you remember those days. I'll tell you, we'd, we thought we'd just set up chairs and hold church. But the, but the city of Winnipeg said, no way, not a chance. You are not holding anything in that building. So we knew suddenly that, that we're going to have to get busy getting this place renovated so that we could actually move into it and start using it. Now, we had no budget for a building program. We had no money, nothing. We just started to pray and say, God, provide and meet the needs. And... Uh, it wasn't until that we actually got some equity in this building that the bank would even consider, let, consider lending us the rest of the money that we would need to actually um, uh, renovate it to completion. So here's what happened. God brought certain people into our lives. First of all, Marilyn Wedlake. God brought in uh, a friend of my uncle's. My uncle Jack was a missionary in Africa. His name was Ed Sy. Went to Calvary Temple, was on the mission field with, with my uncle for a while. Uh, knew the name Duncalf and wanted to come help another Duncalf. Didn't know me, but knew the name Duncalf. He came in here. He did th- th- tens of thousands of dollars of work in this building, getting it ready to move in. Uh, I couldn't even, even estimate how much money it was. I got to know a friend, uh, a guy by the name of Ken Hebert, who's an electrician from Calvary Temple. He was excited about what we were doing. Again, I'd never met him before, didn't know him. He came in here, and he gave me such fantastic advice. He helped with some of the demolition. There are rows and rows and rows of uh, fluorescent lights through here. He helped me take it all apart and then gave me some of the best advice I'd ever gotten. He said, Alan, whatever you do, make sure you get engineers to, to tell you what to do in this building. My brother came in. He did all the plumbing in here, um, uh, worked evenings after work, saved us, again, uh, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on, on the building. And then the other thing that happened is when Gloria and I came home from Greece, we were missionaries there back in about 1992 or three. We actually were living in an apartment block across the street from Calvary Temple, just across, uh, just near Hargrave and Cumberland. And down the hall from us was an elderly lady. Her name was Ollie Matheson. She became our friend, and, and we just started, you know, we stayed in touch with her. She stayed in touch with us, and you know, we'd take her out for dinner, take her to the park, or whatever, just building a relationship, having no idea what was going to come down the line. When it came time for us to start this building program, I got a call from her saying, Alan, I'd like you to stop in to my place. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I'm busy. I got things to do. And I thought, okay, I'll do it. You know, we're, we were not only doing this building program, but we were also pioneering a Filipino church, uh, which is on St. James Street. And we had launched it. I was in two building programs. And so I went to visit this elderly lady. And she said, you know what? As I was praying, God told me I should give you a check, and she gave me a check for $10,000. Unbelievable. I didn't even know she had that kind of money, but she said, yeah, God told me to do that. What happened after that is even more remarkable, because now suddenly on a regular basis, God began to pour in money. I would go to the, go to the post office, and there would be a check waiting there for $20,000. Somebody felt led by God to provide for us. And it was always at the time when we had a bill coming due. The, the doors in this building alone, all the doors in this building are $40,000. I still remember that, and I'll tell you why. Because God provided for us the exact amounts of money that we needed to pay these bills. And one day, and you've heard me tell this before, I love to tell, I'll tell it many, many, many times, uh, I got a call from Ollie asking me to come over and unplug her toilet. And she said, uh, you know, my, it's backing up. And I said, well, can't you just ask, can't you just ask the custodian? She says, well, you know, they're busy and, and takes such a long time and it's stinky and I need your help. Okay, and she's like in her late 70s, or probably early 80s at this time. And I kind of complained to God and said, God, you know what? I, like, I'm busy. I'm, I, I'm, I'm running a church. I'm pioneering another church. I'm doing this building program, that building program. I'm just up to here and work. And I just thought, you know, God, really, couldn't you find somebody else to get this poor lady's toilet unplugged? And when I went there, as you know the story, I went there, unplugged the toilet. And as I was leaving, she said, oh, and by the way, I want to give you this. And she handed me a check for $25,000. 
And I always say that my dad has never unplugged a toilet and got that kind of money for it. <laughs> Old plumber that he is. This is a, these are the sort of things that began to happen. And I call this the choreography of the Holy Spirit, which I want to talk to you about this morning. I, my prayer is that God will begin to open your eyes up so that you begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because here's what I know. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian today, then the Spirit of God is at work in you and through you in ways that you cannot even imagine. What I know by human nature, by my own human nature, is that the tendency is to focus on the negative and to focus on the things that we don't have and maybe even to complain. But God calls us to be a people who stop complaining and start recognizing his hand at work in our lives. You know, some people think that they've got to drive down to Florida for, to, you know, to experience the work of the Holy Spirit at the revival in Brownsville or the revival in, at the airport vineyard church or that they've got to go to Brandon, they've got to go to, to Saskatoon, they've got to, they've got to go where the Holy Spirit's moving. As if the Holy Spirit were confined somehow or limited by geography. Now, if you went to our doctrines course on Wednesday, you would understand that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. God is not geographically challenged. Does everybody understand that today? The Holy Spirit wants to work in your life, and he wants to work through your life. The question is this, are you prepared to allow God to do miracles in your life and to do miracles through your life? Because that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now let me just remind everybody this morning of what a miracle is. A miracle is a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by nature or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. This comes out of the Oxford Dictionary. Now the Oxford Dictionary is not a Christian dictionary. Everybody understands that. And so they don't specifically say it's considered to be the work of God. They say a divine agency. But we recognize that as something supernatural, as something that comes from God. God wants to do surprising and he welcome events that are inexplicable. He wants to do that in your life. Now, I know some people sitting here today will say, you know, Pastor Alan, that's all just a bunch of coincidences. Well, I'm going to tell you, it took literally dozens and dozens and dozens of coincidences to make it possible for us to move into this building. Dozens and dozens of coincidences that made it possible for us to do the work that God wants to do. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is doing work in your life, but the question is this. Do you have the eyes to see it? Do you recognize it? Well, I'm going I'm I'm to just do, give you some teaching on that to help you see it and to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, I want to point you to someone by the name of the Apostle Paul. And again, if you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, he is one of the great uh, contributors, authors and contributors to the New Testament, written a number of letters to various churches across the ancient world. And he writes a letter to the church in Philippi, and he's talking to them about the struggle that he's going through. The Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's, uh, he's restricted. He's not allowed to go preaching. Remember, he's, this is a guy that traveled around the world preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus Christ, and suddenly God stops him dead in his tracks, and uh, Paul, you can't go anywhere. You, you're, you're under arrest. You've got to stay where you are. Now, some of us would be tempted to say, well, the devil got the victory. How many know what I'm talking about? Because that's the, that's the language that you're going to hear from immature believers. The devil's got the victory. The devil, the devil trapped him in Rome. But Paul doesn't see it like that at all. He recognizes that the Spirit of God has got him in Rome for a purpose, for a reason. Paul has a firm faith in the work and in the person of the Holy Spirit. He believes that through the Holy Spirit, God will provide for him, God will meet his needs, God will, will lead him, God will keep him safe for as long as Paul has got a work to do. Look at this verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and it says this. And remember, these are the words the Apostle Paul is sharing with the church in Philippi. For I know that, you, that as you pray for me and that the Spirit of Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Remember, he's in prison, 
And this is what he's saying to the people in Philippi. I know that as you pray for me and that the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. He's got a firm faith. He believes that God's going to take care of him. Now let us just look at this verse for a moment. Because as we look at that word, helps me, you see that there? The spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. That word is actually epikoriagis, which means to supply. And it comes from actually two Greek words. Epi means in addition to, and koriagis means to dance. It's where we get the word choreography. And so what Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God is doing this, this incredible choreography behind the scenes that, that you don't know anything about. Paul is saying, I have faith, I believe that the Spirit of God is choreographing things behind the scenes so that I will have exactly what I need, I'll be able to do exactly what God wants me to do. Do you understand that today? That the Holy Spirit is doing his work in you, he's supplying what you need, and he's enabling you to do the work that God wants you to do. A few years ago, actually it was during the building program, um, we, were, we were just given our working so hard and uh, contributing to the work and lots and lots of, of demands. And it, was a, it was, happened to be a tight time in our lives. Gloria, not, Gloria wasn't working as a nurse. Uh, I think she was maybe babysitting a little bit at the time, living on one salary and you know, developing church as a very small salary. And it was one of those days when things were really, really tight. And I remember getting on my knees to God. I didn't complain. And I'm, I'm patting myself on the back for that. And I said, God, please, you know our need. Uh, we need you to intervene. Please help. And uh, Richard Newman called me up out of the blue and said, Richard, uh, Alan, I would like to take you out for lunch. So he took me to, to Wendy's. And we had lunch together. And just before... He said goodbye to me. He goes, oh, by the way, I felt God telling me to give you this. And he, he gave me a check for $500. It was exactly the amount of money that we needed to carry on. Now, i got to tell you that when the need is not there, those checks don't come. And I've noticed that not only for myself personally, but for this church. God choreographs things in your life to provide for you to meet your needs. But the notion that, that God, wants, God just wants to shower you with whatever you want is absolutely a foreign idea to Scripture. Here's what Paul says to us in, in this same chapter, Philippians chapter 1. In verse 12, he says, And I want you to know this, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. And he's talking about his prison Everything that has happened to me here in prison has helped to spread the good news. Now, you notice that the emphasis is not on the Apostle Paul, but rather on God's will. It's not on Paul's will, but it's on God's will. And Paul is recognizing that what's happening in his life is according to God's purposes. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now, because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you understand that the most important thing in your life is not that your will be done, but that God's will be done. Thank you, Leonard. That's the most important thing in your life. Because here's what you need to understand. You and I are called to be partners with God in advancing his kingdom. Remember on the very first message that we talked about miracles, we said that God does miracles for his glory and honor, for his purposes, not for ours. I'm going to tell you this, and everybody knows this. There's a lot of TV evangelists that have made a lot of money off that kind of immature thinking. Those TV evangelists will tell you, send your money into our ministry and God will give you that new car, will give you that new house. There'll be a divine transfer. Thousands of dollars will just mysteriously appear in your bank account. I don't know if you've heard those guys yet. But I'm gonna tell you, that is totally contrary to what the Bible teaches us. God has called us to partner with him in the great work of reaching this world with the good news of Christ's love. And here's what Paul says further in that chapter. He goes, look at this. Because he's in prison, he says, for everyone here in prison, including the whole palace guard, 
They know that I am in chains because of Christ. Fantastic. He's saying, because I'm in prison, I have the opportunity to reach these palace guards with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of my imprisonment, he says, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So Paul is saying this, don't cry for me being in prison. I'm exactly where God wants me to be. I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. And he said, look at, the, look at the result. Look at the fruit that's coming from my hard work in prison. Now, some of you here today, you may be willing or maybe tempted to complain and whine and say, God, I don't know why I have to go through this. But meanwhile, God's got a great plan that you don't know anything about. And you're living under this false notion that God wants you to be happy all the time. There's nothing in the scripture that supports that. But what God does want is he wants you to know the joy and the wonder of partnering with Almighty God in bringing hope and healing and life to a broken and dying world. That's what God has called us to do. That's what God has called us to be part of. And those who trust in the Lord, once they begin to recognize that God wants to use them, then they begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit in miraculous ways. I don't know if you realize this or not, but God wants to use you. God wants to use you. I was talking to Vicky on the phone just yesterday, just sitting up here in the second row. And I said, Vicky, anybody who has you as a friend is a blessed person. A mutual friend of ours was in the hospital for days dying, and she was there every single day ministering and blessing that, ministering to and blessing that family. What she doesn't maybe even realize is that she is being used by God to be a blessing to that whole family. And I could go on and tell you many, many stories about many, many people here today who are saying, God, here am I, use me. But look what it says here. For I know that as you pray for me and there's a spirit of Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. There's two things that you need to understand about miracles in your life. The first thing you need to recognize is that God uses the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you wonder, is it, is it worthwhile praying? D- does praying make a difference? And I'm here to tell you, you better believe it. And Paul, Paul points that out here. For I know that as you pray for me, and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Your prayers matter. One of the things that we have at Cross Church is we have a prayer chain. And if you have a prayer need, you just have to call our office and we'll put it on the prayer chain and that will go out to everybody in our church who's part of that prayer chain and we'll pray for you. One of the things that was on the prayer chain recently is a prayer for the Fitch's uh, nephew, Jordy. And his, it looked bleak, folks. It looked like he wasn't going to survive. The doctors didn't offer much hope. But we began to pray. We began to pray. People prayed all over the place. And the next thing you know, we get another message on the prayer chain telling us that God has miraculously intervened and Jordy now is safe. That's the power of God, people. That's the power of God. But we sometimes forget. We sometimes forget, don't we? that your prayers matter. And the Apostle Paul makes no bones about it. He, there's no, make no mistake about it. Your prayers matter. But watch this. It's not just the prayers of God's people, but the help of the Spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Together, your prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit working in tandem produces miracles that you don't know anything about. Miracles that are happening all around us. Now, I gotta just point something out before I go any further. Some of you are familiar that at our church we keep talking about the seven habits. And you'll see that, that at least three of, of the seven habits are reflected in this verse. First of all, this habit of walking with God. Paul's saying you need to walk with God. You need to pray, with, pray to God. You need to have a relationship with God where you are hearing the voice of God. You say, Pastor Alan, can we really hear the voice of God today? Absolutely. If you came to our doctrines class, you discover that you hear God's voice by reading this book. The Bible is God speaking to me. And as you read the word of God... And as you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, God does miracles. But there's another habit that's reflected there, folks. Notice, you gotta get this, it's really, really important. 
Notice that it's the prayers of God's people. This is why we say you need to come to church. This is why we say that you need to practice a fourth habit, which you need to be in a small group, because it's in the context of connecting with other brothers and sisters that we pray for each other and support one another. Some people have a really strange notion about the way God works. They think, you know, I don't need, I don't need the church. I don't need my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing in the Bible that supports that erroneous view. It's a heretical view, really. God does his work in your relationship with him and in your relationship with one another. So if you want to see more miracles take place in your life, then you need to get connected to the body of Christ because we pray for each other. James says it. That was one of the last sermons I preached in in the series on James. We pray for one another and God will heal us. But it's together. Now, In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, as we read further on in that letter that Paul sends to the Philippians, he says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In my own strength, in my own power, I find it really difficult to do what God wants me to do. I'd much rather do what Alan Duncalf wants to do. But you see, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And by definition, a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, does what God wants him to do. And so Paul understands this. He understands the battle that we all face, this struggle that all of us have to do God's will. There's not a person here today that would say, I never struggle with that. I find it really easy to do God's will all the time. No, every one of us has a struggle. And Paul recognizes that. And for this reason, he says this. He says, when you allow God to work in you, he will give you the desire to do his will and he'll give you the power to do his will. Now watch this. When you start partnering with God and when you start doing what God wants you to do and when you allow the power of God to work in you, then you begin to see miracles beyond anything you could ever dream of or ever imagine. In the early 1800s, there was a young man by the name of um, Frederick Douglass. He was uh, African-American. He's actually a slave. Uh, By the time he was age 13, he challenged deeply by the preaching that he heard. He gave his heart to Christ. And he was one of the few slaves that had the ability to read. He was given that opportunity. And as he read the, the Word of God, as he read the Scripture... He began to recognize that slavery was a real affront to God. He recognized how evil it all was. He knew that, he knew that it was wrong, and he felt in his heart that he needed to do what it was ever in his power to challenge that notion and to make a change in the world. And so we, we discover uh, or follow Frederick Douglass's life. We find him escaping from slavery in 1838, and he travels north where uh, very few people in the northern states believed in slavery. And we find him uh, finding his voice. And he begins to, begins to speak to his society, begins to speak to his culture. And he starts to talk about how evil slavery is. This one man begins to turn the tide of public opinion. In fact, his, his oratory and his... his uh, His ability to challenge people is so powerful that they actually ask him to travel to Canada to speak and to challenge people's notions about slavery. And he actually then goes on to to the United Kingdom. He speaks in Ireland and Britain and uh, in England and in Wales. He speaks in, in Scotland, challenging the abolition of slavery because it's against God. And we find this man used powerfully, mightily by God, willing to say, God, I want to have the desire to do your will, and I want to have the power to do your will. The interesting thing about Frederick Douglass is that he did not find it easy to speak in public. He was terrified of facing people. But when he got his will aligned with the will of God, God made him a powerhouse to change the world. Now look at this, folks. He was a firm equality in the equality, a firm, a firm believer in the equality of man. And folk, folks, he didn't just challenge the abolition of slavery, but he also challenged the equality of women. 
with men. He, he, he challenged the equality of North American Indians and recent immigrants. And he said this, he said, I would unite with anybody to do right, and I would unite with nobody to do wrong. It was Frederick Douglass who said this, one plus God is a majority. Would you tell a person beside you, one plus God is a majority? Go ahead. And so here, look, it's a short phrase. <laughs> one plus God is a majority. This one man who had so much going against him said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And I'm going to tell you this, folks. That some of the greatest things that's ever happened in the history of mankind is because one man or one woman said, God, you and I are a majority. I'm going to do what you want me to do. So he traveled around the world, and he's remembered as one of the, one of the great, great Americans because he was willing to stand up and speak. Now, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. I want to ask you, what does God want you to do? What miracles does God want to bring to pass because of your life? Because of your willingness to say, God, I want my desire to do your will, to line up with your will. I, God, I'm open to your power at work in my life to make a difference. If you grew up Roman Catholic, you probably have heard the phrase, leave a little room for the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that? Here's one of the things that, that I discovered in my own life is that every time I take time to actually focus on listening to the Holy Spirit, I find that God shows up every time and gives me wonderful opportunities to be a blessing. Sometimes I'll phone people or text people just out of the blue because I feel the Spirit of God prompted me to do so. I can't tell you the number of people who have said, man, Pastor, this, this call comes at just the right moment. Thank you for being so thoughtful. And I'll just say, it's not me. Holy Spirit prompted me. You thank God. I often spend time in prayer. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll wake up 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and God will bring different individuals right from this church to my mind, and I'll pray for you. I don't, I don't necessarily tell you about it, but I'm going to tell you this. The Spirit of God, the choreography of the Holy Spirit is working behind the scenes, waking me up from sleep that I really need, thanks a lot, <laughs> to pray for you. And I know that others of you do the same thing. You need to take time for those divine encounters. One of the things that uh, Heather does for me is that she keeps my calendar and, and my schedule and, and schedules people in, and she's really good at protecting my time. But one of the things that I've discovered is that I need to give God opportunity for divine encounters. Does anybody know Dennis Weeb? Dennis Weeb is a fellow that, that got the work going in Burundi, and he's one of the elders in our church. And one day he showed up at, at the office without making an appointment, he said he was get, doing a seminar over here, over on Inkster and uh, Kuwaitan, and he said, I had a few minutes, I thought I'd just drop in and say hi. Now, Dennis, when he was a young boy, was in my youth group, and so, you know, we hadn't talked to each other for years, but he thought, you know, we're going to pop in, and we're going to have a visit. So we went, uh, went and got a coffee, I think we got something from Wendy's, and then I took him to my favorite place, to the cemetery, and we, we just quietly drove through there and then sat and turned the car off and just talked and got caught up. And he began to tell me all about the work in Burundi and about the opportunity to, to, to touch Burundi in a way that it had been untouched for many years. Uh, Burundi went through the same sort of um, ethnic cleansing, if you will, that Rwanda went through. Some of you are familiar with that. And God called him to go and plant an orphanage, an orphanage there. And as Dennis is talking to me, I feel the Spirit of God speaking to me, saying, Alan, this is what I want Cross Church to be involved in. Now, I didn't say anything to Dennis at the time, but I invited Dennis to come and share with us at our missions banquets. You know the big banquets? This past year, we raised $60,000. I asked Dennis to come, and that was a few years back. 
He was so excited about what Cross Church was doing in terms of missions and making a difference in this world. He thought, man, I want to be part of this church. And so he, he brought his wife and his mother and his daughter and then the son-in-law to be followed soon after. And they became a, a, a vital part of our church. But here's what you need to know. Is it behind the scenes, the Spirit of God choreographed this thing. Dennis just happened to be in the neighborhood. He just happened to have a few minutes to drop in and visit me. I just happened to have time to, to have a cup of coffee with him. And we just happened to know that the Spirit of God was leading us to be involved in this. And the next thing you know, Cross Church is involved in Burundi in incredible ways. And I'm going to tell, share something with you. I can't give you all the details right now because you're going to be hearing about it very soon. But Cross Church is going to be holding a special event. And anybody who's a member of this church and anybody who considers this to be their home church, we're going to invite you out to it. We're going to unroll a vision for you, a vision for Cross Church and for Burundi. Let me just give you a little teaser. Back when I went to Burundi to do a pastor's conference, we had about 120 pastors. There was, it, was, it was remarkable. It was amazing. And I felt really strong that God wanted me to do that. And it didn't really fit in with the orphanage stuff, but it, you know, it was something that I could do as a pastor. And as I was speaking to these pastors, God began to birth an idea in my heart that God wanted our church to be there to help come alongside the pastors there. Now, an interesting thing happened is a missionary from Canada went to Burundi, and his plan was to establish an English-speaking church in a country that speaks Kurundi first, uh, maybe a bit of Swahili and French. And this pastor from Canada, he just wanted to come and establish a big, ritzy Canadian-style church. But, and I thought to myself, God, is, are you, am I hearing you right? Am I doing the wrong thing? And God said, no, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come alongside the, 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 the existing churches, the existing pastors, and do what you can to help. Just this past, past winter, I got an email from the bishop of the Burundi Assemblies of God and the Bishop of the Assemblies of God in Burundi said this. He said, we, we want you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the nutshell version, we want you to come and be part of the training of our pastors. We want you to help us strengthen our churches. We want you to train our pastors. And then he said this, Burundi Assemblies of God is Cross Church. Every one of those 20 churches now will be under our direction, our guidance, our help. Now, folks, look at This is the choreography of the Holy Spirit. God puts an idea in Dennis's heart. Dennis goes and gets an orphanage going. The next thing you know, we're invited to, to participate in this. And the next thing you know, our church is, is meeting a special, very special need to train pastors there. Many of those pastors had no Bible training. Many of those pastors have, don't even own a Bible. But we have the privilege and the opportunity to bless them in, in ways that would be absolutely impossible otherwise. This is the choreography of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand, is that God doesn't just do these miracles in the hearts of the lives of pastors. Dennis Weeb is not, a, is not trained in Bible school. He's a real estate agent who said, God, here am I, use me, what do you want me to do? And again, we watch the choreography of the Holy Spirit. And Dennis goes over to Burundi. He, he has nobody to work with, and God miraculously connects him up with Delson. Some of you will remember Delson. He was here back a few weeks ago, all the way from Burundi with the two boys. And God establishes this relationship. It's not anything that you and I could plan. It was strictly and truly the choreography of the Holy Spirit. Now look at God wants to do that in your life and mine on a regular basis. He wants us to be the way that we live our Christian life. Has anybody ever heard of Moses? Moses was it's a, Moses went up against Pharaoh. It would be the equivalent of one of us going to Washington and, and knocking on Obama's door and saying, hey, Obama, uh, Mr. Obama, we want, we want to take all the construction workers out of America and take them somewhere else. That would mean all the building programs all come to a halt in America because Alan Dankaff knocked on the door and said, we want to take all the construction workers out of the country. That's exactly what Moses did. He went to Pharaoh and he said, Pharaoh, we're taking away all your workers. And Pharaoh said, no, you're not. But remember what Frederick Douglass said, one plus God 
is a majority. Has anybody ever heard of Joshua? Joshua called by God to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And God says, the very first thing you're going to do is you're going to take the city of Jericho. And, God, and Joshua says, but God, we don't have any, any, we don't, we don't have any uh, military strength. We, we don't have any tools. We're nothing. How on earth are we going to take this city that is one of the most fortified cities in the world at that time? And, and God says, well, I've got a plan for you. All you have to do is just take all the people and walk around the city once every day. And on the seventh day, go around it seven times. And Joshua is saying, let me get this straight, God. You want me to take the people and just walk around the city once and then do that? And then on the seventh day, do it seven times. And God says, yes, do it. And that's how you're going to take the city. Absolutely absurd. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. But remember, one plus God is a majority. And so Joshua, in the power of the Holy Spirit, gets the people. He starts walking around that city. And you know the story. And the walls came tumbling down. Have you heard of Gideon? Gideon had a whole army. God called him and said, Gideon, I want to use you to go and, and defeat the enemy. I want you to liberate Israel. And Gideon said, man, I can't do that. And God said, yeah, you, are, you can do it and you will do it. And Gideon goes and conquers the the enemy, not by sword, but by the miracle of God, because one plus God is a majority. Has anybody ever heard of David and Goliath? Young David, a little boy, suddenly realizes that God wants to use him, and, and he tells the king of his country, listen, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go defeat that Philistine, that Goliath, who has been challenging you and been defying the, the living God, our, our God, let me do it. And nobody else is going to fight Goliath. So the king says, well, we've got nothing to lose. You may as well. And young David, on his way to meet the, the giant, bends over and picks up five stones out of the, out of the, the uh, riverbed, makes his way towards the giant. The giant laughs, roars. Who is this? You send, you send a little boy? What am I, a dog? And there's Goliath with his massive spear, his sword, his shield, his armor, his helmet, ready to fight this little squirt. And David picks up his one stone, puts it in his sling. Goliath is laughing his head off. The whole army standing behind Goliath, they're laughing their head off. They're thinking, man, as soon as Goliath squashes this little kid, we're going to attack Israel. But what Goliath didn't know is that one plus God is a majority. And David swung that little sling around, perfect aim. Goliath collapses to the ground. And David chops off his head and says, in the name of the God of Israel. Because one plus God is a majority. What you need to understand is that behind the scenes is the choreography of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is moving in the lives of these great men of old. And what God did back then, he can do today and wants to do today through every single person sitting here. Has anybody ever read 2 Kings chapter 4? Elisha and his servant defied the the king of Syria, and the king of Syria, angry, furious at the prophet, sends his army. And the army is camped around Elisha, and poor Elisha's servant is terrified. He's frightened out of his mind. He thinks we're dead now. And God, God's servant Elisha, the prophet, prays. He says, God, open the eyes of my servant. Let him see what's happening behind the scenes. And God opens the eyes of the servant, and suddenly the servant sees the angel host, the angel armies camped invisibly around Elisha. Elisha's calmest can be because one plus God is a majority. I heard from my friend Vladimir a story of someone a lady in his small group her name is Monique Munda 54 years ago she tells a story of when she was a child just 14 years of age in the Democratic Republic of Congo 
terrible political unrest in the country. And it was common then, and it's still common today, where one tribe of people would be fighting against another and murdering them and putting them to death. And this time it was Monique's family, the Mundus. It was their turn. And politicians from different tribes gathered together, inciting violence against their rivals. And it was her family's turn to be put to death. A neighbor woman who had heard the plans warned Monique's family, warned them of what was to come, and said, if you can, run for your life. Monique, Monique's parents, they, they had nowhere to run. They had nowhere to go. And they knew that the minute they made a move, they would be pounced upon and murdered anyways. And so what her parents did, they're good Christian people. They got on their knees and they began to pray. Eight children, and this could be the last day of their lives, began to pray and gathered the children around, decided not to tell the children what was about to happen, decided not to tell the children that, that they were to be murdered that night, decided instead just to pray. And so Monique's parents prayed while the children slept. Monique remembers going to the bathroom at some point in the middle of the night and seeing her parents in the living room praying. And Monique describes it like this. She said, that night was an uneventful night inside their house. And she had no idea, Monique had no idea what was going on. The next day, the children woke up, went outside to play as usual. And the neighbor came up to the children and said, who were those men inside your house last night? Children said, "There's, there's nobody in our house last night. Just mom and dad. And Monique remembered that, in fact, her parents were praying that night. It's just mom and dad, and they were up praying. The neighbor was very upset because she felt that they weren't telling her the truth, and so she went to talk to the parents. Who were these people in your house last night? And basically, there were no, no men in the house last night. That was the report. Very offended at Monique's parents' unwillingness, unwillingness to tell the truth. In her mind, the neighbor went away angry. After this, Monique's parents told the children what had transpired the day and the night before. Monique's parents remained in the living room so that they would be, kill, they would be killed first and would not have to see their own children being murdered before their eyes. Monique's parents prayed all night, and at that, at that point, they saw, during the time of prayer at night, they saw a man coming to the window and looking in and were preparing for the worst, but nothing happened. So they continued praying. The attack never, never materialized. Later, the neighbor told Monique's parents that many men had come to her house to launch the attack against the unsuspecting family. But they saw so many men inside the house that they decided against attacking that family. They decided it would be too difficult. Monique recognized the presence of God, the choreography of the Holy Spirit, making those killers see a house full of protectors, of people there to protect that family. Now I want you to know something, folks. There's so many things that we don't know and cannot see, things that are happening in the spiritual realm. But here's what I do know. I do know that God wants to work in your life. He wants to use you. He wants you to be a blessing to this broken and hurting world. God wants to make you a channel of his miracles. So here's what I'm challenging you to do. I'm challenging you to, to stop complaining and whining about your circumstances and start looking for God because I can guarantee you that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you belong to Christ, he's at work in your home. He's at work in your family. He's at work in your children's lives. There's things happening behind the scenes that you simply cannot see. The second thing I would ask you to do is start praying for miracles. Start praying, believing that God is going to do amazing things by his spirit. And finally, I'd ask you to do this. Trust that God is working in your life. That he's not forgotten about you. I know some of you right now are going through some very, very difficult days. 
In fact, it is hard for you to concentrate or think about anything else other than the problems you're going through. But here's what I know. God has not forgotten about you. God is busy at work in your life, at work in your marriage, at work at your family, and work at, he's at work at your work. And he wants his will to be done. But what you have to do is you've got to pray, God, give me the desire and the power to do what pleases you. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say, God, give me the desire and the power to do what pleases you and not what pleases me? See, that's, that's why miracles stop happening. Because our will is not aligned with the will of God. And because we're simply not prepared to experience what God wants to experience us to experience in our lives. Would you stand with me, please? I want to pray for you, and I'm going to pray that God will do a miracle in your situation. Some of you are here today, financial needs, marital needs, family needs, problems at work, physical needs. I'm going to pray that God will do a miracle and that the Spirit of God will do a work in you. Would you just close your eyes right now? And if you need a special touch from God, it's between you and God. I'm not even looking. Put your hand up to the Lord and say, God, here am I. I need a touch from you. God, you see the hands that are raised right now. You see the need that's represented here. And so, God, according to your scripture, according to your word, Lord, we are believing for uh, your help, for the choreography of the Spirit, to, to, to bring things around so that, so that we experience your provision, your healing, your help, your guidance, your instruction, your safety, your provision. God, there's so much that you want to do in the lives of every one of your your children here today. So God, we pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of our master, we pray, Lord, that you would do that miracle. And more than that, God, we pray that you would use us to be the channel of your miracles to a broken and hurting world. God, raise up for yourself people here today that will bless this world, that will make a difference. God, raise up here a Frederick Douglass who will champion the cause of the weak and the poor and the needy. Raise up for yourself another Dennis Weeb God that will go and, and provide for the needs of people who are less fortunate. God, I believe here that there are people that want to really be used by you and, be a, and to be a blessing to others. So God, do that work, we pray. And we thank you now, Father, for your spirit at work in us. We give you the glory and the praise. Open our eyes to see it, Lord. Help us to see what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray it. And everyone said it with me? Tell that person beside you, you plus God are a majority.